Pod. 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 Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod, the emergency Washington Huskies football podcast of record. That's just what we do now. Oh, goodness. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Coming to you on a Monday because the Washington Huskies have a new football coach who's not Kalen DeBoer. It is Jed Fish from Arizona, signed to a seven-year deal worth an average of $7.75 million a year. Um, led the Wildcats to a 10-win season last year, and now he's coaching the Huskies. He'll be introduced at a press conference on Tuesday. Um, how are you feeling about this one, Danny? You've, you've had some commentary on, uh, on Mr. Fish in the past. Well, it's very clear that I've been one of the biggest proponents for this edition going back to when our paths, when we crossed paths briefly in 2010 when he was a Seahawks assistant. Uh, as my Twitter bio now says, noted fish enthusiast. In fact, even got a little bit of musical accompaniment. Yelling, fish out, fish out. Oh, yeah. Was that a little, was that a little primus? It is a little primus from the East Bay, from the East. That's a good, that's a good little like anthem. (laughs) It's from the, it's from the seas of cheese. Uh, Any of you primus aficionados out there who know that primus does in fact suck. I had reservations. I think I made them fairly evident. Uh, And now I'm going to hope like hell that I was completely wrong. Christian, it's it's one of those things. I'm not someone who has ever had a vested interest in being right. And generally, when it comes to coaching hires, I remember when they were looking for Kalen DeBoer, kind of feeling like, I don't really know how much expertise I have to lend to any of these potential candidates. Like I know Matt, Matt Campbell's won a lot at Iowa State. And if you ask me my choice, I'm probably saying him, but I'm not... We base these opinions, or I'm going to say I base my opinions about coaches off a very limited run of information. And I did and do have some questions about how Jed Fish is going to fill out the defensive side of the staff. But I have spent the last at least 12 hours and probably closer to 24 now getting myself thoroughly pumped up about all of the recruiting wins that he's put together. And I am I am now full fish enthusiast. That didn't take very long. No, God, no, God, no. Once, once it became clear that they were going to hire him, um, and which I think kind of became clearer over the course of Sunday. Yeah, completely. Get on board. I hope as I'm a, wrong. As a reminder of um, the task that lies ahead for Jed Fish and, and his new coaching staff, uh, Jeremy Bernard just went in the portal. So that's a that's another one. And look, there's going to be more and. I'm sure Jed Fish is not approaching it like every single one of those guys is gone. So forget about it. And, you know, I'm sure there's a pitch to be made to some of those guys. Uh, A new staff, obviously, is always going to have different ideas about the personnel they want on their roster. But um, this is he's got to do what Kalen DeBoer did in 2021, where there, there weren't as many guys when he took over who had actually gone in the portal. But there were a lot who were thinking about it and leaning toward it. And it took that new staff coming in and, and selling them on the program for them to, to stick around. And you know, I think that's task number one. Um, figure out who at Washington you can get to stay. And it's a cold world, Danny, but figure out who at Arizona might be wanting to come with you. Logistically, when a player enters the portal, that means he can directly talk to other coaches. Is that correct? Yeah, it means he can be he can be contacted. It it um it does not preclude a return. It, it really it's it's up to the coach of any given program um how they handle a guy going into the portal. Obviously, Dylan Morris stuck around, participated in the the CFP while being in the transfer portal and talking to other schools. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of portal cases, you're not going to see that. It's usually like okay, you're gone. I think in this um this transition period. You got to go in to gauge your your options, you know, see what's out there, because if you wait too long, you know, a lot of spots are already taken. Of course, there's another window in the spring, but um, 
you want to have a great sense. If I'm going to leave this place, you know, if, if I decide that this staff isn't for me and I don't want to stick around to be part of the, the new regime, it's not a bad idea to know what's out there. So, you know, and some of these guys may well have made their mind up that like new coaching staff new you know what, clean break. I'm, I'm out of here. Like a few guys did when Kalen DeBoer took over. There were some guys, Jackson Sermon, Taki Taimani, um, a few others that, that aren't coming immediately to mind, but who clearly were just, I'm out of here, you know, best of luck to everybody. Um, so I be curious to see if they are able to retain. It sounds like Jabbar Muhammad has had quite a bit of inbound interest. I wouldn't expect him to be, uh, him to be on that list of guys who might reconsider. He's also, is he, he's from the Dallas area. I think I, I would, I would be surprised if he came back. The one I, I would hope they can, they can get Mish Powell. But Mish had also moved kind of away from an outside cornerback position. So I'm I'm not really sure about how, what his motivations might have been, whether it was tied to DeBoer leaving or maybe it was the change in in where he was playing last season. I'm not surprised that the quarterbacks, both of them, both Will Rogers and and Austin Mack entered the portal. it It would surprise me if certainly if Rogers reconsider, it would, it would surprise me if, if Mac uh, came back as well. I was be interesting to see if, if Mac's got a landing spot in Alabama, because the, the one thing somebody, somebody posted this and it's, it's a pretty funny joke, but it's not entirely untrue is that the one thing, if DeBoer took the Alabama job, you didn't have to worry about was him raiding Washington's roster. Because I'm not sure how many of the players off of Washington's team would make would would be considered upgrades over the players that he's going to have on hand there. And I definitely think that that's in in some ways going to be true. Washington will lose a lot of players, but it's not necessarily because they're going to follow the coach in the same way that, say, Oklahoma players did with Lincoln Riley. Definitely. Um, And Austin Mack could well be the uh, the exception to that because he he is a guy who had the profile coming out of high school of, of somebody that, you know, really any program would be interested in, um, a, a top 100 kind of potential five-star quarterback. If, if he, you know, if he'd played his senior year, he could have jumped into that five-star conversation. Um, so, and DeBoer and Grubb, and it does, it, it appears that, you know, obviously since Ryan Grubb did not get the head coaching job at Washington, that he will go with Kalen DeBoer to Alabama. DeBoer and Grubb were just sky high on Austin Mack. They've got um, they've got some other young quarterbacks in the pipeline. They'll have to sort through all that with the timing and who stays and who goes and who goes in the portal. And um, like Jalen Milrow still has a decision to make. Um, and and you know I, I don't know that Austin Mack is uh, your guy in twenty twenty four anyway. Um, Looks like like Jalen Millerow has said that he's staying. Hard to keep track of all this stuff. Uh, I've become very uh, familiar as noted Jed Fish enthusiast over recent recruiting victories that the University of Arizona has won, uh, including uh, T Mac, the powerful six foot four receiver that was a top fifty prospect who Jed Fish landed in Tucson. He's a stud, absolute stud. Jed Fish's recruiting is pretty impressive. When you look at, there was no reason for him to succeed at Arizona. He goes to that program in 2021 and Arizona's two most recent hires had essentially been there seeking soft landing spots spots or a rebound from a previously prominent coaching prospect. First it was Rich Rod and then it was Kevin Sumlin. And both of those went about as poorly as you could imagine for different reasons. But Rich Rod leaves they weren't in love with the returns they were getting on the football field, but there was also an extramarital affair and Kevin Sumlin, the the program just really bottomed out. There was no reason for him to, for, for Jed fish to succeed there. And instead they went from winning one game to winning five games to winning 10 games. And it's clear that that Arizona recruited its ass off. They had a top 25 class in it, the the guys who were freshmen true freshmen this season so that that class with McMillan it it's it's pretty remarkable and that is uh, as a noted Jed Fish enthusiast one of the things that I think it 
Husky fans can be really excited about Christian. Yeah, I think the, I think the top twenty five class was the twenty twenty two class. So the guys they were they would have been sophomores this year. But that's like you think about how impressive that is coming off the season they had. They were one and eleven, yeah. and they signed at the like the number whatever it was the number twenty two class, depending on which ranking you look at. That was that had McMillan, that had Noah Fafita, um, redshirt freshman quarterback this year, who obviously uh, a lot of people are going to be waiting to find out what he does. Um, oh, is McMillan a sophomore? He is. Yeah. So he he, he was he had a huge game He's- at Husky Stadium, um, but was their number three guy in 2022. The day that was the day the Mariners played the marathon playoff game against the Astros um and he Uh had a couple plays in that game that was just like made UW's DBs look like little boys I mean he's you know he's 6'4 and he's tough and he's he's fast and he was uh I I think he flipped from Oregon when Mario Cristobal left Cristobal Cristobal left and then he and then he went back and and decommitted at that point and then he's from Servite which is an Orange County school and I think he's he was high school teammates with Fafita, and I think there were one or two other guys from Servite that went to U of A. Yeah, um, Jacob Manu, the linebacker, who I think was first team All Pac twelve um, this year. I, I think he was he had one of the more um, like upset reactions on Twitter. I think to Jed Fish leaving, so we'll we'll see what he does. So McMillan's recruitment, and it wasn't even him committing to Arizona. It was when he committed to, to Oregon. Um, that was the first signal to me that like, wow, Jed Fish is making some inroads. What's going on at Arizona? Because they were the runner up for him. He, like he committed to Oregon. And, you know, by the time a kid commits, everyone kind of knows where they're going. But I remember thinking like, how did Arizona get in there? How's Arizona that close? And wound up thinking that about a lot of guys. You look at Washington's recruiting classes under Kalen DeBoer. There were a lot of crossover between you look at which official visits the kids they signed in the 22, 23 and 24 classes took. Um, there's a lot of Arizona in there, you know, so it it kind of they, they had kind of settled into a territory where in terms of direct head to head recruiting, they're going up against Arizona. They're going up against Utah. They're going up against Oregon State. They're going up against, there's some like Michigan State in there. Um, wasn't so much USC and Oregon, which maybe that would have been problematic down the road that you're you're not really in the discussions for some some kids who are choosing between those schools. But um, I would imagine there's a number of guys on this roster who are very familiar with Jed Fish and his program and who were recruited pretty heavily by him and, and gave them pretty strong consideration. So um It'd be interesting to see. Obviously, he brings some Seattle familiarity on his coaching staff. Um, Jordan Pow Pow, their tight ends coach, was fired by Jimmy Lake on day one of the Jimmy Lake tenure back in uh, late December of, of 20, uh, 2019. So I, I would guess he would come with. Obviously, he knows what he's doing uh, in the Washington market. Jimmy Doherty is their passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Coached receivers under Steve Sarkeesian at Washington. Um, and Brennan Carroll, Pete Carroll's son, their offensive coordinator and, and O-line coach. So a lot of, uh, a lot of familiarity. I know Jed Fish has talked about Southern California being really, really important to them in recruiting that they'd hit, they'd hit that area hard. And, you know, if you're the head coach at Arizona, you're, you're kind of missing it if you're not. Um, but they've, they've got all the relationships and the, really track record of success. It's not like they've dominated recruiting. And from a rankings perspective, their 23 and 24 class was like a little bit of a step back from 22. Um, but they've got relationships. They've been on the trail. Coaches know what they're about. Um, you know, this will be Jed Fish's fourth season as a head coach in what we would, I'm going to continue to refer to as the PAC 12 footprint. Um, so the, the familiarity is there in a way that like, you know, Kalen DeBoer had been at Fresno, but only for a couple of years. Um, Jed Fish has been recruiting the caliber of player that you could recruit to Washington and, and win with. So we'll we'll see if, if that ramps up a little bit. I have a source who talked to me about uh, the recruiting approach that Jed Fish had in Arizona. And by source, I mean this dude on Twitter uh, named Robert Wagner at 
first Bobby Wags 10. Uh, he's a coog, but he he offered this little uh, tidbit to me when I was complaining about the possibility of Jed Fish or explaining why I wasn't head over heels before he was hired and I became a noted Jed Fish enthusiast. I was helping at a high school here in Arizona when he was hired. He and his staff worked aggressively to make connections and recruit kids. I was impressed with their approach. I hope UW passes on him. <laughs> As I said, Robert Wagner, a kook. Uh, the success at Arizona, if I was going to say that part of my concern is that you're buying high on a coach, like this is as good as, as Jed Fish has ever looked in his coaching career. The, the flip side of that is that you've seen a person succeed in a situation where there was nothing really lending itself. There was no sort of structural advantage. There was no, that's, that's a lot of bootstrapping. There, there was nothing set up for, for it to be successful there. And it has been incredibly successful. And now he goes to Washington. You mentioned the, the salary, Christian. I was surprised at how high it was, but that might just be sort of the sticker shock or what the, the new reality was. I know that the offer for Kalen DeBoer was, was 9.4, but Kalen DeBoer's salary, this is a significant step up from what DeBoer was making, which would make you think that Jed Fish was someone who was pretty coveted or certainly wasn't in a situation where he felt, hey, I've got a, I, this is such a, a drastic improvement that they had to make a pretty, it's a Jonathan Smith sized comparable to what Jonathan Smith signed to go to Michigan State, correct? Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a couple factors to consider with that. And, and I, I think, so Smith's contract was $6 million a year. Uh, oh, that's just his base pay. So yeah, you're you're, you're right. Um, it, it, it is comparable. Um, when you're going to the Big Ten and you fancy yourself a program that should compete in the Big Ten, like you need to pay your coach at a, a Big Ten level. Like Washington should be paying its head coach a salary that's at least in the top half of the Big Ten. Um, obviously, they weren't going to pay Jed Fish what they were going to pay Kalen DeBoer. Jed Fish hasn't brought a team to a national championship right. game and isn't isn't 25 and three as a head coach um and also was not your sitting head coach who was threatening to leave for alabama which which changes <laughs> things um he also was not in a position where he should have been desperate to leave arizona right right which i think was going to give him a, an extension and a raise that had kind of been in the works for a while and i know he had talked about wanting to secure um, salary commitments for his assistants also. So, you know, his, he was making in the threes, I think at Arizona, he wasn't going to make that next year. If he'd stayed at Arizona, they were going to get a new deal done. It would have been some amount more than that. Wouldn't have been seven and three quarter million. Um, but it, it would have been some amount higher than, so you're not negotiating against his current salary. You're negotiating against what he could get at Arizona. He's not desperate to leave. So he's not going to take the job. If you're lowballing. Um, he, you know, it's, it's out there that they had the funds to pay Kalen DeBoer what they were going to pay him. And, and, you know, like I said, that you don't want to enter the big 10 with a head coach whose salary is not at like a healthy big 10 level. That doesn't mean you overpay just to overpay, but um, there's a ramping up here and a resource commitment that I think they're trying to send a message about. So, yeah. And, and I, if you're only offering what six a year, is that reason to leave Arizona? Is Washington such a better job in the Big Ten with the roster kind of rebuild that you're going to have to go through here this first offseason? Is that so much better than Arizona's situation going to a pretty manageable Big 12 with an established young quarterback, a stud receiver? Granted, you're only going to have him for one year. Um you know, Jonah Coleman emerges a really good running back. They've got this young core. They've recruited the portal well, and I assume would have continued to. Um, they'd have been looking pretty good, finishing number 11 in the country, 10-win team, going into the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. Um, they they kind of would have, you know, they, they were really set up for 2024, which Washington is, is not going into a, a much tougher league. So um, next year might have been the year. If Jed Fish is thinking, I'm going to parlay my Arizona tenure into the best job I can get, the move really might have been to to wait, you know, unless an opening came along with, a comp, you know, compensation that made it so you had to take it. 
And I, I think Washington was that opening. And, you know, I don't want to dog the Washington job relative to Arizona. Like Washington should feel like, especially going to the Big Ten, that that's a more attractive opening for sure. I'm certainly not suggesting it isn't. But the the circumstances at either school might give a coach pause if he's thinking, well, let me see what we can do in 2024 and what my options might be after that. It's such a, from a strategy point and coaching tenures and how things work, it's become so interesting because I did wonder how much of a factor for Washington is what Jed Fish could bring with him. Used to be when you made a coaching hire or, or a switch, there wasn't the same level of, okay, what, what could potentially come with it? There, there would be questions about the staff, but with the transfer portal, like there's now a legitimate question about, okay, if you hire this coach, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's probably the chief example of that. On the other side is Deion Sanders, who came in with, a, I'm going to establish an entirely new standard for what kind of players we look to attract here. It's it's an interesting approach. the The fact that Fish's recruiting base is in a similar is is in the territory that Washington has has looked to recruit from, and the 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 way that he's built the program through some of those recruiting victories, I find pretty attractive in the long term. And I do find myself having a little bit of. I don't want to covet other schools players, Christian. I'm trying to be ethical about this. I'm trying to not be the 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 vulture-like person who who looks to pick from the bones. I am curious about what and how many Arizona players might end up transferring to Washington. See, this is why like I you know, I'm just I'm actually I'm just going to go find it. Um I I wrote something before Kalen DeBoer was hired uh, in December of 2021, November of 2021, about, you know, what's what's Washington um, looking for and what should they prioritize and, you know, head coaching experience and offensive background and, and all this stuff. And um, that's going to be too difficult to find. But I basically I, I wrote, you know, do you do you prioritize hiring someone who you think is going to stick around for a while? And came to the conclusion that like you, you'd like that you'd like to feel that out in the hiring process, but one, you never know, you can't know, and two, like you, that's just not something you can worry about in the modern game. You know, you if they leave after a short period of time after taking over a four and eight program, it's because they probably did really well, and it's going to suck and be really hard for a while. It'd be really hard on the players and the staff and families and all that stuff. But, um, he, that's the game. And so I, I think that there are similar questions about Jed fish. He's been at a job for three or more years, only twice. He's jumped around all over the place, all over the NFL, a bunch of different college jobs. He's only been a head coach at, at one school, Arizona, other than, than being an interim coach, at UCLA when Jim Mora was fired, but, um, you know, he's alma maters, Florida. He didn't play there, but he went to school there. And, and, you know, there's the Steve Spurrier connection. Obviously I'm, I'm sure, you know, he feels a certain kind of way about his alma mater. And, um, if that job comes open, does he covet that? Would he, he's got so much NFL experience and so many NFL ties and worked for so many big name NFL coaches. If he succeeds at Washington and an NFL, NFL job comes open, does he leave? And I just don't think it matters. You know, I think it's about like how who can you hire to win the most games next season and maybe the year after that, you know, I, coaches are recruiting and building their roster with an eye toward the future and long term and, and years down the road. And how does it stack up? But the the games become there's so much more immediacy to it. And, you know, I, Kalen DeBoer, I think, probably taught Washington a valuable lesson that like anybody can leave at, at any time and you you just pick up the pieces and and move on and and a big part of that is probably doing to another program what what that coach did to you as you're talking about this it occurs to me that we are in the midst of a pretty fundamental change and we've seen it 
in college sports. We saw it in basketball first, I think, where all of the established guys who had been associated with their program, sort of the deans, whether it was Roy Williams at UNC, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, the the guys who have operated sort of as the king of their little castle, you've seen those guys start to leave. And that just happened with Saban. And some of this, I do think, is driven by those coaches who have built that kind of setup, sort of not a self-perpetuating because it's still hard work, but things are are changing really significantly, especially with name, image, and likeness, and how that's that's going to work. And guys, saying I don't, I don't want, I don't want to figure out how to do how to sustain success under this new era. And for schools, the formula to it might change a little bit. It might be less about you get the guy and you build the the program around the guy and it becomes a cult of personality, which has been forever the way that you build a college football program is it's built around the coach and that you might see that that might become less important or at least as coaches become more migratory. Cause I do think that's happening as well. You're seeing coaches move more. Yeah. Um, and you know, who could you have hired who would have been available that you would have really felt great about sticking around long-term? Cause I know like Lance Leipold's name was floated. Obviously like I had him on my list. Everybody had him on their list. Um, sure. seems like there was at least contact, although we don't really know the, de- the degree to, uh, the, the degree of that contact. I, he's older. So, you know, and he, and he, he went from D three to a group of five school to a power five school that he, you know, turned into a, a legit program in three years that hadn't had success in forever. So maybe, yeah, going to Washington would be like the next step up. And, and is he, is he ever going to be in position to leave for a job better than Washington at, at the age that, that he's at? But you don't know, <laughs> you don't know, mm-hmm. and and you you don't know what other schools are are going to covet and all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I maybe Pete Carroll, right? Pete Carroll wouldn't have left for uh, wouldn't have left for Georgia to be Kirby Smart's replacement down the road. <laughs> Pete's different though, and that was a pipe dream. That was it was very funny to me. Uh, the number of people that were hoping that that might actually occur, where I was. Like that's just simply not realistic. And by people, I just mean like well-meaning Husky fans, people who do believe in um, Jed Fish is a better head coaching prospect, a higher profile head coaching prospect than Kalen DeBoer was two years ago when the Huskies hired him, right? Hmm. He has achieved more at a more advanced level. Yep. It depends on what degree of significance you would assign to DeBoer's NAIA experience. I think that nowadays that means more. I think like you're seeing that success at a lower level has translated to success at, at the FBS level at the power five level, um, because some of those guys are getting those opportunities, but yeah, I mean, Kalen DeBoer had never won 10 games at a power five school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right. I, and, and I, salary wise, what Washington hired him for was yep. not, as as comparatively, I'm not even saying comparing dollars to dollars, but what Kalen DeBoer's salary was at average among Pac-10 schools, Pac-12 schools, compared to what Jed Fish is like. This is this is a bigger hire. Just the economics, how 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 it would show to you where where Jed Fish's standing is within the industry, and, and so so in that way. I know people have the tendency to say like, oh, the past two years doesn't mean as much now because Kalen DeBoer has gone. I don't think that's true because first of all, you get the success of those two seasons and how much fun it is. The second part is even with the roster or the the feeling that there are some real deep questions about what the what the personnel on the team is going to look like. You're at you. You were in position to hire a higher profile, a more coveted head coach this time around than you were two years ago. I think it shows that the impact that these past two years, the carryover effect that it's had, where some people have a tendency to say you can flush all that down the toilet because it was 
it w- he was here for a couple of years. You had a transfer quarterback and there's not much going to be a long tail of the, of the footprint that he left. Speaking to the immediacy of things, like when Washington hired Kalen DeBoer, Jed Fish was nowhere on the radar. He just finished his first year at Arizona. They'd gone one and 11. I thought they were going to be the, one of the worst Pac-12 teams, maybe in the past decade. I thought they were going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, they really should have gone 0-12. They, they, beat the, uh, they beat the Berkeley Department of Health for their one win. And, <laughs> and everyone knew like that's what you were walking into. Like that team, There was nothing anybody could have done to have been better than that at Arizona that year. And they almost beat Washington. Almost beat Washington in Tucson. Probably should have. Um, he was, he was not on the radar. I mean, that was just an, he, he was a non-factor in that coaching search. And now two seasons later, his was a name that immediately came to mind. And, you know, I think because he proved he could build a program quickly, um, Arizona was, was just rock bottom. Um, they were in a terrible place and his hire, if you remember, was not applauded by alumni there were a lot of arizona former arizona players who uh thought that the school betrayed them essentially by not listening to them or not hiring someone with arizona ties or an arizona guy or or whatever and i I i was pretty impressed by how he took that on um he addressed it directly and just said hey you know i i I get it you care about your school we want you around. We want you to be part of the the football program. You similar to the way Kalen DeBoer did with with Washington alumni, um, and just you know, ask them to accept him into the community the way that he was excited to accept them into the community. You mentioned um, the the person on Twitter you heard from about the the efforts that they took locally. I mean, Arizona recruiting in Tucson and in the the broader um, in, you know across the state was a joke was an absolute joke. Kevin Sumlin's staff basically didn't try. Um, if you still got a subscription to The Athletic, Ari Wasserman wrote a really interesting story um, a few years ago about that, basically, that there were some big-time recruits, like Bijan Robinson was at South Point Catholic in, in Tucson, the same school Mateo Mele went to. Um, and Arizona just, like, didn't bother, you know? They had a couple of big <laughs> prospects there that they just, like, didn't try with. Um <laughs> And look, is Arizona in a position to keep Bijan Robinson home? No, he's probably not go. But like, there just was not, there was no pride <laughs> about like we're going to recruit the state and like we're going to make sure that Arizona is seen as a destination for local kids. And I, you know, obviously Jed Fish and his staff took pains to repair those relationships. So, and that's been an important state for Washington too. I mean, they've they've had success going into Tucson and going into the. The greater Phoenix area, um, you know, that's where Parker Brailsford's from, right? So I, I think um, he he made a lot of progress developing relationships in multiple areas within the Pac-12 footprint that Washington also recruits in. I think that's going to be really helpful. Has recruiting become more important or less important in the transfer portal era? Because Washington's been in a position where there've been a number of really high profile recruits who have ended up leaving the state and kids going to Ohio state, which I've always taken the approach of look, recruiting's become more national. Let's that's just the reality of how it's been. And there are going to be national programs where it used to be Notre Dame would, would come into town. You'd occasionally get Michigan would come. There's, there's kids that you're going to lose. Do you, do you get the sense that there is a need to repair some of the in-state recruiting for UW? Maybe a little bit. Um, they did. They'd gotten a commitment from the number one player in the state uh, for 2025. It lasted a few days. Is obviously, that rainy de- sale. Yeah, rainy sale from uh, from Bethel. Um, he decommitted obviously when when Kalen DeBoer. So that you know that they're going to have to start that all over again. You know, I the concern with in state recruiting was that they were missing on the the big high profile guys that they wanted. It was it was the swing and a miss on the guys who they should they should take pride in keeping home. There are you know there's another side to it where people are always going to be a little bit irritated that um, you know a three star kid with some Pac-12 offers winds up at Arizona, for example, or winds up at Oregon State or Wazoo or you know maybe Boise State or or Colorado or something like you know that that type of school. You know, when Washington's taking some kids 
from out of the region who also sort of fit that profile. Well, why'd you take them and not the, the not the local kid? You know, so I, I think that's where some of the pressure yep. comes from, um, from people involved oh, in the in the game um, in state. I think the broader concern for the program is why wasn't Braden Platt, the you know four star linebacker from Yelm, at all interested in Washington, but but he was sold on Oregon. You know, why was Jim Harbaugh in Michigan able to come out here and get Hogan Hansen, the tight end from Bellevue, to commit, and in in Washington couldn't get him in in a year where Washington's really on the rise. So, you know, that, I think that was that's where they need to make some inroads. And, you know, maybe you chalk some of that up to, well, Michigan's Michigan, right? They won the national championship game. Why wasn't Washington able to combat Michigan in the trenches in the national championship game? Because Michigan is Michigan. Um, you know, they some some of the brands just have, they got more appeal. And shoot, it's Michigan. Get to play your home games in front of 108,000 people and all the tradition, all the resource and all that stuff. So um, I, I think to me, that's the, that's the concern is the missing on the, the, the top guys and not necessarily that like they signed a class that didn't have any local kids. I don't think they went that hard after a ton of local kids, but the ones they did go hard after the ones they would have really wanted, they, they missed on. And that's a problem. Do you have any sense of what the coaching staff, what Fish's coaching staff might look like? Because for me, that's probably the next big question and maybe even less than offense more on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean he's he's gonna have to go hire a, a defensive coordinator. Johnny Nansen was their defensive coordinator. Um, his three seasons at Arizona, he just left for a job at Texas. You know, Dwayne Aquina, their secondary coach, also left for a job at Texas. Um, there should be money available. They paid five mm-hmm. and a half million, I think, to buy out Fish at Arizona. They getting twelve million. For um for Kalen DeBoer leaving for Alabama, so they'll come out ahead there. They were already invested in in assistant pool. I mean, their assistant pool is like seven and a half million this year, and that was top like I think it was eleventh in FBS. Looking at the USA Today database among public schools, so um they were they were in pretty good shape there. You know, I we know that a handful of Kalen DeBoer's assistants are are off to Alabama. Um, Maybe there's some potential for retention there, especially on the defensive side. If they're interested in that, maybe you go out and and try to poach and you know try to pull a, a coordinator who would love to come work for a Big Ten school for an offensive head coach, where you know that your side of the ball is your side of the ball, and you got full control. And and um, you know they were paying Ryan Grubb two million dollars. Who's to say they couldn't pay two million dollars for a for a defensive coordinator. So um, that there's a lot of questions to answer there. This is a weird, so there's a, it's a holiday today. So campus is closed. So the press conference isn't until Tuesday. I'm, I'm curious to hear kind of how he answers that. Cause I, you know, that's, that's the big question is the defensive side. I don't know that I see, um, I don't know. I like the, I know softy tweeted that Chuck Morrell and William Inge were at the first meeting um, with, with Jed fish on, Sunday night. I don't know that that necessarily means like those guys have a great chance of being retained or if they're just, they're still around. So they, they went, um, we'll see, you know, maybe that helps, maybe that helps soothe the roster a little bit. Well, we'll have to find out. One of the benefits because Jed fish has worked for a number of different coaches and the fact that he's bounced around. And I I would say that that was, he's been around, he's been on the staff with Pete Carroll with Jim Harbaugh, with Sean McVay. But he has bounced around to a number of different jobs. He will also have crossed paths with a number of of different coaches, and his network should be pretty broad because of that. And what you mentioned about the, the ability to offer someone a chance to coordinate the defense, that should be a pretty attractive job because a person could look at it and say, hey, that's actually my... I could get a head coaching job from there. If I, if I went and, and become the defensive coordinator and it's at a big 10 program that, that conceivably your next, your next progression from there is a, is a head coaching job and, and potentially a, a pretty good one. Um, and because there's not the same sort of, it's harder when you're the offensive coordinator for an offensive minded head coach or the defensive coordinator for a defensive minded head coach. Cause any success on that side of the ball, whether correctly or not ends up being 
partly or maybe even mostly attributed to to the head coach. I think Ryan Grubb's going to run into that a little bit. Um, and it looks like I, I know that that Ryan Grubb is not is not coming back. And I think most people expect him to go to Alabama, but that's going to be a challenge for him um, to to. It's harder to delineate sort of how much credit or responsibility to give. And the defense being the defensive coordinator for Jed Fish should should be a really big opportunity for someone. Were you um were you upset at all that it wasn't Ryan Grubb? Was there any part of you that just thought, hey, promote him, he wants it, give him a shot? I could see the argument for doing it. And the argument primarily would be that you can sell the people who had been someone like Austin Mack, you could sell him on staying if Ryan Grubb's your head coach. That it's going to be the same system. It's going to be, it's actually, you're going to have the same offensive coordinator. You're going to have the chance to do the same sort of things you hope to do when you committed. Ultimately, I would have said, would my preference have been for them to promote Grubb? No, because you don't know how he's going to respond as, as a head coach. How is he going to do in that spot? And it is a different job. It is to be the head coach of, of a, of a football team is, is a different job. And there is a political aspect to it and a public relations aspect to it that quite frankly just doesn't exist when you're a coordinator. And then the question of recruiting. And to me, that's too many unknowns. I view coaching hires as bets. And you're making a bet without having complete information. You don't know how anyone is going to respond when they get into the specific circumstance and situation that that you have set up. But you can kind of say what you think will happen, and then you can identify the unknowns. So for for Ryan Grubb, I would say what you what you think is going to happen is he's going to have an offense that is really effective and and able to create matchups and allow a quarterback and, and wide receivers to thrive. You don't know how he's going to be as the primary recruiter. You don't know how he's going to be as the person who's the voice of the program. And, and you really don't know what kind of defensive staff he's going to be able to put together. There's fewer unknowns with Jed fish. So I, I wouldn't have been against Ryan Grubb, but that wouldn't have been my preference. And that's basically just based on, those things that you don't know. And that's, that's a lot. Some of that is not his fault too. Cause that's how Jimmy Lake worked out. Right. Like, yeah. Ryan Grubb has zero to do with how, how Jimmy Lake's tenure went, but having been through that and seen where you're like, Oh, that is not at all what I thought Washington was going to get. It makes you, it makes you more leery about walking down that road again of let's promote an assistant, the deputy and give him his first crack at being the head guy. I'm curious if Troy Dannon considered Ryan Grubb the same way he would consider any candidate and simply decided to go in a different direction, or if he decided straight away, I'm not making an internal hire. Because I could see the latter, that, you know what, these wounds are deep that Kalen DeBoer left on his way out the door to Alabama. Let's just start over, you know. And let's find someone with head coaching experience who's been in the chair, who gets it, who's molded and built a program and built a roster and maybe not prioritize so much salvaging this current roster. Um, because if you, if you go internally, it's a little bit of a gamble in the sense that maybe the guys on this roster you're trying to keep at Washington are going to leave anyway because they were there for Kalen DeBoer and they don't mm-hmm. feel or they're you know they play defense and their coaches are gone I mean, whatever they don't feel their attachment to Ryan Grubb the way that they did to Kalen DeBoer and maybe there, there are some where it'd be the opposite where they worked more closely with the offensive coordinator and you know like you mentioned Austin Mack especially the quarterbacks maybe it gives you a better shot there but if he doesn't get those guys to stay you're you're putting a ton of pressure on him now because now he has to remake the roster with very few personnel connections anywhere whereas and i hate to say it, this is, it, it it's unfortunate this is the way the game's played jed fish has a roster full of guys he recruited at arizona who may well jump in the portal and follow him and like that sucks like it sucks for arizona 
and it's going to suck for the next school unless they go with an internal hire for the next school whose head coach they hire who's going to have to hold his own really short farewell meeting and then maybe have guys jump in the portal and follow him go look at Kansas's roster there's still a bunch of guys on Kansas's roster who came with Lance Leipold from Buffalo um just how the game's played now it's 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 too bad that that's the way it is but that's the way it is and I I wonder if that's not a consideration when you're an athletic director not necessarily exact drilling into exactly who could a guy bring with him I don't think that's a a healthy sustainable way to determine who your next head coach should be but you know it the roster is kind of emptying out and they're gonna have to backfill from somewhere so I I wonder if that's not a thought just generally like I want to hire a sitting head coach because that sitting head coach will have connections to personnel who could fill out the roster I would also say that head coach has shown the ability to fill out a roster on his own. And in the case of Jed fish, do it without much institutional sway behind him. Like nobody, he didn't have any advantages going to U of a, and he put that roster together. So even if nobody followed him, you've seen his ability to amass it before. And with an, a sitting assistant, you're, you're hoping you don't, you don't have that same, that same result. Look, Troy Dannon, of all the people in this sort of scenario, he's the one that got dealt the most difficult hand, right? He didn't hire DeBoer and he tried to retain DeBoer and he was on the receiving end. What I think most people would like the most charitable description would be. That's a really bad beat. It wasn't really a conceivable outcome that he loses when he took the job as the athletic director that, Hey, come, come January 11th, your head coach is going to have a, have an offer from Alabama. (laughs) And after going through all that, I could see him saying, (laughs) if I want it, if I wind up in a mess because of this, I want it to at least be a mess of my own making. (laughs) At least because the, what he ended up getting, (laughs) it's like, how the hell did this happen? (laughs) I was to kind of, to that point. Oh, I was, I was dropping Ruby off at, at school earlier this morning um and one of the parents we know well was like so how was it and uh and i was i thought she was just talking about like drop you know monday drop off she just started preschool like there's there's emotions right she's three years old um and i was like ah oh, you know it was a little rough and like i was like wait what are you talking about and she's like oh the the trip you know to houston and i was like that was years ago what are you talking about Houston. I don't even remember Houston. <laughs> we've, we've lived a lifetime One since Houston. One week ago today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I used I w- to think that the, the most enjoyable, the most enjoyable way to write a Seahawks game recap would be to take excerpts from Seahawks fan Twitter reactions, because in the first quarter, there would be a point where all the fans wanted everybody fired. All of that. And then in the second quarter, there would be uh, just anger and disgust at the players and the lack of effort. And then in the third quarter, when they'd start playing better, there would be a like, you've always got to believe and give them a chance. Just take the whole arc. If you did that for Husky fans over the past seven days over their feelings, I don't know if any fan base has experienced such a wide swing in emotions about a coach as Kalen DeBoer because of how grateful and excited everyone was. And that, I mean, playing in a national for a national championship in your second year is such a wild, like unexpected. And you feel like, Oh my gosh, we've just, we've got, it's like getting Willy Wonka as your head coach. (laughs) Then he goes to Alabama and the feeling I saw someone (laughs) and I, I'm not singling this reaction out because I, I don't like them or because I think, because I think it reflects like an emotional reality, but a really good Husky fan who is someone who was very passionate about the program. I saw them tweet. Washington basically just got the death penalty from Kalen DeBoer. (laughs) Well, if you want to trace it back from Nick Saban, (laughs) 
and that is a wild reaction, right? <laughs> the it's program gonna, just got shut down. There, there's going to be some great like 3,000 word um, retrospectives written about the Nick Saban retirement butterfly effect because it's far from over. It, Arizona could like end it for most intents and purposes um, by like promoting Brennan Carroll. And that's something to keep an eye on, right? Like, is he a candidate there? If he gets that job, uh, if he doesn't get the job, I think most people assume he, he comes with Jed Fish to, to Washington. But someone's going to have to go internal to to stop the the ripple effect. Because um, if they hire, like, oh, Brent Brennan at San Jose State's name has been thrown out. Well, there's another program going to have to hire somebody. And this late in the game, maybe they're, they're the ones who make an internal promotion. But if they go hire some other smaller school's head coach, like, there's always, you know, you have this every year. Um, but with the retirement of a, an all-time legend coming in in January after the national championship has been played, it's it's a lot more pronounced, and it's the only um, you know coaching carousel fallout that's happening at least right now. I saw Jim Harbaugh's interviewing with the Chargers, so um, we'll see we'll see if he winds up leaving I, Michigan. I that was yeah that was the one I was always worried about with DeBoer. Like that yeah. was. I think when we we talked about even if you were asking me the extension isn't done yet what could he possibly be waiting for that would have been my thought I was he's from South Dakota I don't know how he feels about Michigan but I could see that I think most people feel it'll be internal the other thing is and there is a feeling among Washington fans that DeBoer somehow played dirty pool by not signing an extension that's exactly what Jed Fish did and I love The Wire. I think The Wire is a great television show. I think it's one of the best television shows ever written. But there is sort of the game is the game. That's what is going on right now is exactly it is a trickle down and you can debate the morals and ethics of it. But that's just how it works. The reason the the reason Jed Fish had not signed an extension or accepted an extension from Arizona is the same reason that Kalen DeBoer hadn't because they're waiting to see what might pop up given the success they've just had. And that's presumably like every step down the rung. I, I do like the butterfly effect of uh, the, the poobah in Tuscaloosa decides to retire and watch all of the different lives that are disrupted and the ripple effect that takes place all across the country. I wrote this um, kind of in my initial reaction to the Jed Fish hire on Sunday, but I think the the most important thing for Washington is that they're looking forward now, and they gave the program and the fan base something out in front of them to focus on, rather than wallowing in the the shock and and disappointment of losing Kalen DeBoer. That you know, I, I think. You, you you have given Washington fans a reason to stop dwelling on Kalen DeBoer's early Alabama press conferences and parsing his um his, his his early words and did he say anything about Washington or did he not and you you've you've given people something to latch on to that's that's optimistic that gives them at least a, you know okay so what's the roster going to look like and and what's the coaching staff going to look like and and digging into Jed Fish's um work history and what he did at Arizona and what he did before that and um you know the press conference on Tuesday that'll be another big step i remember thinking when they hired Kalen DeBoer that okay was this the best hire or not well we don't know we'll see but it, at least the the vibe had shifted you know you'd gotten jimmy lake out of there mm-hmm. yeah you'd you'd given people something to latch on to to distract them from how disappointing this last week was and and you move on a little bit and i, I you, you could sense that i mean just through like reactions on social media and stuff on sunday that there's this shift from not that people aren't still extremely upset with Kalen DeBoer, but that's not necessarily like the focus of all of their downtime. Now you can start thinking about who the coach is and what the team could look like and, and focusing on the future. And you know, I think beyond the practicality of you need someone in place to try to hold the roster together and build a roster, um, that was an important element of the the timing, not letting this thing fester for a week, but getting it done in 48 hours. And, you know, tells you too, that I, I think Troy Dannon probably saw this coming um, maybe before 
before it was cer- super obvious that Kalen DeBoer was gone. I think there was probably some groundwork laid. So, yeah, super super clear that he had some contingency plans in in place. Uh, would you say that I am Exhibit A for the Husky fan you've been talking about, Christian? No, I I so no, I I really don't actually. Really, um, I don't think somebody who has worked in the profession that we've worked in can fully mirror the reaction of someone who who is a a fan. You know, um, you obviously you're a fan, you're diehard, you have emotions about Washington football the way that a fan does. I think that you spent too much time. You've spent too much time around coaches to be as crushed by Kalen DeBoer's departure as as most people are oh, and should be. Okay. Um, I just like it. Okay. You know, I, that's fair. I think I think your default realization or your your default um, disposition that the game is the game and this is going to happen. Um, probably you you come by having spent a lot of time around coaches and covering coaching changes i would imagine um so i like i i don't know that 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 part's true yeah your exhibit b how (laughs) i was gonna say how about my reaction to the jed fish hiring in that as as we've been talking about it or even as that opening became clear I was kind of like, yeah, I'd prefer they do something else. I'd prefer, which is, which is strange. Cause I don't know. I've never talked to Lance Leopold. I, I don't, I know his work history. I know what, what Kansas looked like this year and, and what I perceived as a significant improvement. And then as the hires made, I'm now 100%. I'm still not on board with the visor. I don't like the visor. Look, I'd prefer he not wear a visor, but that's really <laughs> trifling. Uh, where I'm completely like, hell yeah. Do you see that ride receiver? He pulled out a servite, the recruiting class that he put together. Like we're going to get back on. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm noted Jed fish enthusiast. Am, am I exhibit B at least in getting on board? Your exhibit B your your well, your exhibit a in your, your, um, Jed fish evolution here, your Jed fish progression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, but no, mm, uh, maybe exhibit say- exhibit a and a half. Because I think Exhibit A was just excited. Okay. Didn't didn't have to go through the progression. Yeah, yeah, I had to. I I had to. I had to get over. It. I'm I'm Exhibit A point five. I will say when it comes to Kalen DeBoer, um, I have fairly strong opinions about what I think will happen during his tenure at Alabama. But I'm not. I don't think I'm rooting for him to to not do well. But I'm very clear. I'm taking the approach that I had taken with an ex-girlfriend, which was, I, I hope she's happy. I, I really do. I, I hope, I hope that everything goes well and she has a good life, but I don't want her to be happier than me. I believe, uh, like, Olivia Rodrigo has a song. about that. Oh, really? Oh, I like Olivia Rodrigo. What's the song? I think it's called happier. Oh, I'll have to look that up. Although, Here's my objection to Olivia Rodrigo. She she has a lot of teenage heartbreak s- songs. I'm not exactly sure how many how someone as famous as as she is can have experienced so much heartbreak when she's a, a Disney pop princess, right? Like the, she's been a been a superstar. I, I'm wondering how how earnest and and authentic the the songs of heartbreak are, Christian. Well, you only need to feel it once to be able to write many authentic songs about it, right? <laughs> like, you know what it feels like. Which, they don't all need to this, be about different people. At which, given this, the Kevin, Kalen DeBoer's departure to Alabama should make some amazing art from Washington fans, right? The heartbreak <laughs> that that is inspired, the depth of suffering should, we should have some beautiful, beautiful art that comes from this. We need a, we need a Rick Neuheisel song about it. He can sing, play oh, the guitar, right? No, no, dude. Dude, Coach Raft Trip was annoying. I thought that shit was corny. <laughs> I always thought that was corny. Well, of course it's corny. That doesn't mean it's not good art. <laughs> yes, it does. That's exactly what bad art is. is it's corny. Yeah, probably like literally by definition. In fact, it does mean it's not good art. <laughs> oh, dude, him and his acoustic guitar. <laughs> Stay tuned 
to onmontlake.com. Jed Fish does uh, meet with the media for the first time on Tuesday at 11 a.m. I'll be there. I'll I'll write something about it afterward. I, I don't know that we're going to do our, our Wednesday for Thursday podcast since we've had two emergency episodes here in the last uh, few days. But we will uh, we'll get back with you soon. Um, I'm sure the world the world will have shifted a, a few more times by then. We'll talk to you when we talk to you.